What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast for episode 113. We're wrapping up our read on Robert Jackson Bennett's City of Blades, covering everything from chapter 10 to the end of the book. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And Drew, bring this home for us. What the heck happened? Oh my goodness. I thought the second half of City of Stairs was crazy. The second half of City of Blades is on another level. So in chapter 10, right where we picked up, uh, a mysterious woman delivers a box with a sword in it to be sent to Mulagash in the SDC headquarters. Unfortunately, uh, one of the guardsmen takes a liking to the sword, a uh, kind of a busybody, nosy micromanager dude. Um, and he pays the ultimate price because the sword possesses him uh, with the spirit of St. Jurgat, the most celebrated, brutal saint of Vortia. And he goes on an insane spree, attacking and killing people throughout the you know, the SDC docks and the the city of Vortyashtan itself, and a just all-out battle occurs. Uh, as reinforcements come down from Fort Tenadeshi, they're ambushed by uh, Vortyashtani insurgents. Mulagesh and Sigrid and Signy hatch a plan and do finally take down St. Jurgat, but uh, it's it's quite difficult. And in the uh, in the carnage, dozens of people died, including our uh, racist captain, not our. <laughs> yep. Uh, but they move on from there. Uh, you know, they've they've realized, okay, this is this is what's happening. You know, these swords are possessing people. That's that's what's going on. We gotta find Chowdhury and Signy. After giving Mulagesh a new, much, much better prosthetic hand, reveals that she knows the island that Sig- or that Chowdhury went to uh, after they cracked the code in her letter. And so she and Mulagesh sail to the Tooth, where Mulagesh encounters um, a, a pretty creepy, like, memory keeper of Vurtia. And they also discover that a a saint's tomb has been broken into on the island and a sword, a sword has been stolen there. Mulagesh, now knowing how to uh, truly access the City of Blades, heads back to Vurtyashtan to the SDC yards with Signy and with Signy's help and Sigrid's help, activates the portal to the White City. She goes through, she wanders around, she meets the Watcher, and she finds her way to the Citadel, climbs all the way to the top, and discovers it wasn't Vortia at the top after all. It was Tinadeshi herself, who didn't die, who did just disappear all those years ago, and has sort of taken up the mantle of Vortia in an effort to prevent the Knight of the Sea of Swords from happening. But as, uh, as the connection with the real world strengthens because of you know these swords that are being forged with the Tenetiskite. Um, she is losing her control and she kind of sacrifices herself and gives the Sword of Vortya to Mulagesh. 
While this is all going down, General Biswal, who is very, very angry over the insurgent attack and the death of Captain Nadar, launches a full-scale invasion of the Highlands and narrowly survives some, some ambushes and assassination attempts and things. And while he is uh, on, out, out in the field, he receives a message that uh, somebody anonymously has taken pictures of the statues in the SDC uh, testing yard, and he heads on back to uh, Vortyashtan itself to deal with this. Mulagesh comes back and realizes it's Radas Molisk who's been forging these swords and uh, they need to stop her because the Knight of the Sea of Swords is imminent. She and Signy uh, scale the cliff above the docks to Radas' house but are intercepted by a Sepuri patrol and Signy is shot and wounded. So Mulagesh enters Radas' house by herself discovers her secret forge underground in the basement, uh, injures Rada to prevent her from uh, continuing her work, but gets kind of trapped inside by the Sepuri military. And Signy, meanwhile, outside, is injured and hiding in the forest. As General Biswal arrives, uh, Signy tries to surrender, and one of Biswal's soldiers shoots and kills her. Biswal himself enters Rada's house and heads downstairs, where he finds Mulagesh and discovers the truth of the swords and the Tenetiskite and decides that he's going to use this as his chance to get the war he wants. He kills Rada and then uh, frames Mulagesh for it and also frames Mulagesh for the death of Signy. Sigrud <laughs> finds his way into Fort Tenedeshi where Signy's body is uh, being held. Basically goes into a berserk rage and brutally kills several Sepuri guards and uh, uh, encounters Mulagesh in prison before freeing her uh, and coming to his senses. Mulagesh and and Sigrid set out to find the swords and, and find some way to stop the Knight of the Sea of Swords. Mulagesh encounters Biswal with all of them and he has the Sword of Wurtya now. He tries to duel Mulagesh, and so she just shoots and kills him and takes the sword. <laughs> yeah. And then she and Sigrid uh, leave Fort Tenedeshi, but are spotted by none other than Pande, who was in fact having an affair with Signy, and he thinks Mulagesh killed her. He chases after them in a car, uh, injuring Sigrid in the process, and then fights Mulagesh with a sword. Mulagesh accidentally kills him. And then while the invasion is happening, Mulagesh discovers she knows what to do with the Sword of Wurtya. She kind of unlocks this interior landscape of herself and her idea of, a, of what constitutes a soldier. And she confronts the millions of sentinels invading and finds them wanting. They are not, in fact, soldiers. And therefore she can break the promise and end the Vortyashtani afterlife. Uh, in the aftermath, Sigrid has to flee because he's now a wanted man in Sapor for killing those guards. And uh, Mulagesh oversees Signy's funeral, but lets uh, Sigrid watch from a distance. Then Sigrid contacts Shara and finds out that Shara is maneuvering 
and wants Mulagash to take over as uh, prime minister after her rule is over. And the book ends with Mulagash returning back to to Sapor on the same pleasure yacht that brought her to uh, or brought her off of her island retreat in the first place. But this time, instead of being filled with honeymooning couples and families on vacation, it's filled with soldiers going home on leave. So, <sighs> holy cow! What an, ending. what an ending! I was not expecting this at all. Like the the spectacle and the sheer beauty. I mean, we'll get into more of what I was expecting later in the episode. But for now, what I wasn't expecting at all was just my God, Drew. You texted me. I think I want to. I think it was right when you finished the book. It was yeah. something like two a.m. for me, or I was still reading, and midnight for you. And you were like, you were saying something like, "Oh wow, that was just holy crap! Wow." <laughs> yeah. And I myself, in that moment, was on the line, not near it. I was on the exact line where Mulagesh looks down at the sword and says, "Yes, yes, I do," or uh, "Yes, you do." Just perfect. We experienced that ending within an hour of each other, I think, and our opinions, I think, are going to align dramatically. It was just so good. Yes, this uh, this is. One of, if not the best book I have read so far in 2021. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to give some thought to a desolation of peace when we cover that in a couple of weeks. But this is, if not on that level, very, very close. I loved this book. Wow, uh, it was yeah. I'm I'm excited to hear that desolation called peace is gonna be on this tier. Interesting, and I'm really excited. Um, Oh God! I, like style. Like, where do we even begin here? Um, I don't know. Throw something at me before let's, I continue. Let's talk because... about pace. I okay. mean, we we talked about this a little bit in um, in City of Stairs. How the second half of the book kind of just went crazy, and and while the first half had a little bit of a slow build up, the second half just did not waste any time. But even though it was action packed, the chapters got longer. And uh, a similar, I would say, a, a mostly similar uh, phenomenon happened here as well. The, the chapters did remain long. I mean, chapter 16, Queen of Grief, is a 49-page chapter. Yeah, in my ebook, it was like 55. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Like, and and the and chapter seventeen, Defiant Love, this the the Denouement chapter, a twenty page Denouement chapter, the same way uh, City of Stairs had that uh, What Is Sown, although that oh, one yes, was even longer. Special. That was like a thirty page chapter. Yeah. Um. But so it it is interesting how much the pace of events picks up, but the chapters stayed and even got longer. It's just it's a different kind of structure than I'm used to uh, reading in books. Yeah, and we do have point of view changes that are going somewhat quickly, but there's there's still part of these larger chapters, mm-hmm. and, and the chapters are uh, they're they're spaced for me. I think you know pretty well considering they are gets they're they're getting slowly larger and larger, and it worked well. I mean, when I, when I'm in the thick of it, I don't even realize it, and I think that goes to speak for the quality of the writing. Yeah, I mean, uh, chapter ten is a sixty-page chapter, sixty-one pages, and I. Tore through that. <laughs> now, granted, that was one of the most action-packed chapters I've read in a book in a long time. But, 
But yeah, it, it's it's strange having such long chapters. I mean, I, I look at the page count. You know, this book was 485 pages. Uh, All Flames Cast, uh, you know, the last book I wrote, is just a hair under 500 pages. 43 chapters. This has 17. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon. And it kind of makes me want to go back and look at Foundry Side and Shorefall because my my recollection of those is that they had relatively, you know, standard chapter lengths. They didn't have these massive massive chapters. Hmm. Yeah. I want to get uh <laughs> I want to get my few very few negatives out of the way before I continue with my glowing about how great this book was. Okay. Um, there was still the awkward sentence here and there that I noticed, and I, yeah, definitely, yeah. I drew only one to talk about today, and this could just be me. I'll read it out for you here now, Drew. And I also believe that if the Vortyashtani afterlife is possible, the Knight of the Sea of Swords is possible as well. I also believe that that makes investing in this harbor a damn stupid idea, isn't it? That makes investing in this harbor a damn stupid idea, isn't it? Rather than doesn't it yeah did that um i was like hmm. you're right uh there are little things like that um just awkward syntax goofy goofy sentences yeah uh you know using the same word three or four times in a paragraph and twice in one sentence uh they're sprinkled throughout it. It's not overwhelming. It's not... No, um, by... Exactly. This is the only one I wanted to talk about today. Yeah, like, it's it's not so prevalent that it impacts the quality of the book to any great extent. Uh, you know, like, again, this is this is a guy... You know, he, at this point, I guess he's in the middle of his career. He, he published a couple of standalones before he did uh, Divine Cities... And you know, like this this book came out what twenty sixteen, something like that. So not not super long ago, but but it's it's still a little rougher than you know what we're used to in Founder Set and Shorefall. However, however, the prose is not what's carrying this book. No, exactly. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Like there's, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Man, it, the, the character. Oh my gosh, the character work. We're gonna we're gonna have some <laughs> stuff to talk about. These this um, is I, I don't think I've been this excited to get into a character discussion on this podcast yet. This is ah I still have a couple little things though for a style. I did spot what I thought was a tiny plot hole, or it, it might just be a part like an opinional plot hole. Hmm. Um I something I, I just found a little too convenient to entirely buy. So the the attack of Saint Jurgit, okay? Someone okay. dropped off this cursed soul-filled blade, or, yeah, soul-filled blade, in an attempt to corrupt Mulagesh, right? It was, it uh -huh. was a trap for Mulagesh. And with such a dangerous weapon, almost as much for how alluring it is as for how devastatingly powerful it is, um, they claimed, and they claimed it was from Nadar, which we'll talk afterwards about that, they just decided, yep, this is the perfect place to leave it, right here, at a random guard outpost, with two guards inside who've already made a deal about how their job is to inspect things. You know, I'm sure they're not going to do that because I told them not to. This magical, irresistible sword of destruction. You know? This is going to go totally fine. <laughs> I don't know how they... 
It just felt like to me like we just needed not to know who this was yet, so they dropped it off with guards first. And it didn't quite make sense because there's no way that thing was going to make its way to Mulagesh in any circumstance, right? I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think there was a, a problem with that. Um, to me, the Mulagesh side of of that whole plan was ancillary. It was Rada being like. I'm going to try to kill two birds with one stone, but the more important thing is that I get somebody okay. I, to touch this sword. and I accept that. Yeah. I actually 100% accept that. I, I absolutely retract what I just said. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, she, so she was like, please don't touch it. I please deliver it to her because she would like Mulagash, but it wasn't worth uh. the risk of you know revealing herself or um, endangering the plan. Yeah. Just to kill Mulagash. Yeah, I'm ready to buy. Okay. Very good point. Um, um, uh, speaking of the swords... <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I had one quote my... highlighted. This is, this is a little bit of a style thing, a little bit of a, a miscellaneous oh. point. Um, there's, there's a quote near the end of the book. The sword was... It was like a symbol, sir. An idea made real. Or maybe many ideas made real. It was a symbol of their agreement. They'd be soldiers for Vortya, and she would give them eternal life and their final war. It was just it was a matter of just rewriting the agreement. Does that remind you of anything? Rewriting the agreement. That that whole paragraph. The sword was an idea made real. Um the Knights Radiant? How about maybe, the, maybe I'll, how about the blade of Tai Shao? Oh yeah, okay, okay. I already Fair brought enough. up in in the first episode for this book how the idea of like the possession, the Sentinels being possessed and going on these oh, like God, you know right. killing sprees reminded me of um, some Black Knife things in, yeah, in the Axe of Cain. Oh my God! And I uh, both of those. And then and so this struck me once again. I was like, yeah. Again, I don't think Bennett was stealing, you know, ideas from the Acts of Cain or anything. I don't even know if Robert Jackson Bennett has read the Acts of Cain. Um, but it is interesting to me how this similar concept has, like, carried through. You know, uh, this book came out in uh, 2016. Heroes Die came out in 1998. 20 years later, authors are still exploring similar themes in... Dark fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I I really need this. All this has done is remind me that I need to reread Kane because I miss both of those. Kane is worth rereading. It is worth. Re- <laughs> yes, I will say so. Even a year and a half after the fact, maybe two years. Two years. I will. It's been two years. Yeah. It's been a while. Oh my god, two years since Kane. Mm-hmm. So, the Thanatoskite. It's not some naturally occurring ore. It's what's left of their damn swords. Yup. I will leave that three seconds of ominous silence. Anybody who's listened to the last episode knows exactly why. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There, there was some really neat foreshadowing in this book. The one that comes to mind right now is Sigrid explaining what he did in murdering other people while imprisoned. How his nose started bleeding. Yes. And he murdered many, many people, including oh. innocents. He, he gave us in that moment what we didn't know was perfect context for those droplets of blood that we got later on the table. 
as he stands over his daughter's body. It was that foreshadowing was so well positioned where it was. I wholeheartedly approve. You know. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about that scene a little later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, God, another one that just came to me. Um, there was a chapter epigraph, like mid book, I want to say it was, talking about how a divinity's very voice, a divinity's opinion, could like shape reality itself. Mm-hmm. And then we have Mulagesh as Empress of Graves, Queen of Grief, she who clove the earth, yada yada. I find you wanting. No soldiers are you in my eyes. Just chef's kiss. As she rewrites that agreement, I love that callback and that tie-in. It was. Oh, oh yeah, so perfectly done in these cases. Oh yeah, um, I I have to say, once uh, once we got like a little more info about um, Vortya, and we started getting all of these titles, I briefly wondered if Mulagesh would become some sort of like spiritual successor of her i'm like mulgash is already missing the hand yeah and she, i didn't make that connection like, till the end <laughs> and uh and but i was like no like i i don't see how that could possibly happen and then we go into the um and then we go into the city of blades and she meets um valaika tinadeshi and it was i was just like oh oh this is happening <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that i have to say like there were as as much as we did predict some things, you know, like saw it coming that Rada was more than she, you know, more than just a, a doctor. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, oh yeah, we saw the you know the Tenetiskite. There were plenty of things in the back half of this book that were foreshadowed well that I did not anticipate, like Tenedeshi being alive at all. Like, you, you look back on it, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, of course, nobody ever, like, she just disappeared. She Nobody ever found her. And then we have the same thing with Chowdhury, who's like, she just disappeared. And then we find out halfway through the book, oh, she went to the City of Blades. The logical, Which is weird. The logical conclusion there is, well, Tinadeshi also went to the City of Blades. Like, Cause and, and we had all this information about how Vortya... After, you know, that certain point, after she created the City of Blades and, like, severed her her hand from Ahanas, uh, never spoke again. Yet, the Vortya that uh, appeared over the cliffs and destroyed the mine spoke to Mulagesh. So it's like, the pieces were there. Like, that was good foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still a little surprised that we totally did not buy and caught onto right away in City of Stairs about that little detail, that seemingly inconsequential detail at the time about Vo's brother disappearing on his pilgrimage to that temple. Yeah. We, we, we caught that up right away. But somehow we missed this one. I think this one was just laid better. It was... Yeah, and the time so- scale, you know, worked for Bennett's advantage in this book. In City of Stairs... Volka, yeah, he's older than Volka. Thank you, Vohanis, but he's still like he's not that old. Whereas Tinadeshi supposedly died like sixty-four years ago, so it's like she was already a grown adult. If she survived back then, oh well, she'd be like well over a hundred. Except, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, 
my per like personally my last style point is uh there's something interesting i read in the author's note at the end this might be the first time i've ever brought up an author's note on the inking out loud podcast um but he i think bennett mentioned something about his editor i think it was that helped him uh cut something mm -hmm. like an entire book out of the middle of this one what do we think in that book contained i have a guess uh, I I did not uh, bother guessing at that. Uh, what do you think it was? I'm thinking Chowdhury. I'm thinking we had a lot more points of view from Chowdhury. Oh. Doing what she was doing. Perhaps. This is just a wild guess. But it just seemed odd. That, like, okay, like obviously it's great that we have some closure and that we find her or Mulligesh finds her there and we know what happened and we hear dehydration. But I feel like that may have been the last sequence of quite a few or like this is like a send-off to that sequence perhaps i don't know like this I, i'm just thinking of what could possibly have fit in the middle and i thought there's a lot of missing viewpoints from chowdhury that i would have liked to see after the fact so that's, that's an interesting guess. idea i i'm inclined to think it wasn't that just because of the way Probably. these books have been structured where he's he, he focuses on one main character like you get a couple of ancillary points of view but really like book one 90 95 percent of that was shara book two 90 95 percent of it is uh Mulagesh. and what little bits there are uh, there are other points of view for most of it is sigrid and so I can't imagine he would have written a substantial other point of view story to like break yeah, that structure. That is a good point. That is a good point. I will leave that as just a wild guess. Yeah, I mean, I would be really interested to hear what what got excised. Yeah, um, it's just the, the way that he specified the middle. It wasn't like overall shortening. I didn't get the 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 impression that it was an overall tightening. It was. Is something about cutting something out of the middle? And I was like, hmm, okay. So he's, he knows where roughly it takes place, too. Oh, yeah. I'm sure in, in his first draft, the book was much, much longer. And then yeah. his editor was like, look, you don't need this plot line. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Just, mm. so, See, I'd be interested to hear from him mm -hmm. if he knew what it was. Uh, the other thing from was, the acknowledgments that I had uh, jotted down notes on was that... Um, I reading through this, I remember feeling that he had a really good grasp of the military side of things, the soldier's perspective, um, just yes. based on other military fantasy I've read. But I was like, you know, I don't. I'm pretty sure Robert Jackson Bennett was not a veteran. Uh, he was not in the military. And then I read the acknowledgments, and he does call it, you know, much thanks to Mike Cole for taking time out of his busy schedule to educate me on all things military for this novel. And that's that's also extra, you know, kind of amusing because Mike Cole is sort of uh, persona non grata in the publishing industry right now. He's He was one of the, uh, one of a handful of authors, several of whom were like good friends and came up uh, at the same time, like Sam Sykes and... Uh, um. Oh my gosh! Now, uh, Paul Kruger, uh, and and they were all um, uh, accused of sexual improprieties during the uh, kind of the second wave of the Me Too movement uh, about a year, year and a half ago. Gosh, uh, gotcha. For you know, 
indiscretions at conventions and things like that, uh, sexual harassment and, and whatnot. Um, and, and so that, that was a little bit of a, you know, sort of whiplash for me because it used to be, I saw Mike Cole on Twitter all the time. He was super active tweeting, you know, he was like funny guy, had all this like military, like operator experience. He was, he was very, very, um, he's like, I am the veteran. I'm the like hard line, hard ass soldier. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then he just like disappeared off of Twitter. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was, that was interesting. A little, a little like it, it made sense reading the acknowledgements. I'm like, okay, this is how, um, Bennett, got the the kind of the tone that you know we brought it up about uh certain scenes feeling like they could have been straight out of the black company you know and uh it's like okay this makes sense that he had a military veteran consult on the book hmm. <laughs> i had no idea about any of this that's interesting yeah. i just spent the past three minutes learning <laughs> yeah yeah there's um Man, there's a, a whole side of science fiction fantasy that uh, had quite a lot of turmoil in in the past few years. I remember, I remember the turmoil. I just hadn't uh, I hadn't heard these names until now. Hmm. Or at least I don't remember hearing these names until now. Okay. Uh, yeah, I I haven't uh, read anything by Mike Cole myself. Um, my wife read his first uh, fantasy book, The Armored Saint. I think it's called. Um. I know she bought the second one. I don't know if she ever read it, but uh, but I haven't read anything by Michael. I have read Sam Sykes. I have read Paul Kruger. Wasn't super impressed with either of them, to be honest. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but not on the level of Bennett. No, not even close. No, no, no. Uh, the one Paul Kruger book I read was Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge. Had an A plus premise. Not good execution. Dang, that's disappointing. Yeah. Oh, somebody it was, was in on it. It was like a story about um, bartenders who fight demons in Chicago, and they, if you like perfectly mix cocktails, you can give yourself magical powers. And uh, depending <laughs> okay. on the cocktail, you get like different powers. It's, uh, yeah, like the premise was awesome, but yeah, the execution was not great. Cool. That's remarkably similar to an idea I myself had recently. I have to work that on that one then. Yeah. Gotta change it up a little bit um so i'm done with my style points uh anything else style oriented that you wanted to discuss before we talk characters no let's let's talk characters because i think characters are where the bulk of this conversation is gonna lie today yes it is <laughs> yes it is and let, who else are we gonna start with besides my girl mulugesh yeah holy crap what an arc this woman had my word I can't believe this is the same character we were just humming and mehing about so recently. How crazy is that? I mean, I I still fall a little closer to that end. I like Mulagash. Really? Her arc did get more compelling. But I still think it was the characters around her who shined the most in this book. Hmm. We'll, but we'll That's get exactly to that. That's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel about Signe. Oh, Signe. Oh, but, yeah, we'll we'll oh, talk about her in a... So many times we're, we're going to be saying in this episode, we'll get there, we'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> Mulagesh has so many winning moments in this book, from one-liners to outright warfare. She had 
the first half had more of the first and the second the latter if I, just, if I got that correctly I loved her journey I loved her complete lack of self-awareness for how much of a hero she actually is I love her dedication to her ideals above anything and everything else her courage her foul language which I'm starting to like now the complete lack of time she has for anyone else's bullshit and her journey if you'll pardon the expression is a lot like that of Dalinar who's a Sanderson yes. character if you don't recognize the name mm -hmm. she's an aging warrior a general and leader with a lot of past trauma and regret and she pushes herself to be better to take charge to solve problems that she can and to lead by a better example than she ever had there's a lot of lot, lot to respect about that I've come completely completely around on this character now i think she's one of the top 10 most powerful female characters in sci-fi epic fantasy that i've read personally she's just wow I, I i don't think i've ever come around this hard on on a character really wow yeah okay do you, do you like on, her more on, than lady yeah of course yeah because uh, lady even afterwards she was still a little cold i don't know uh, maybe not for like soldiers live lady okay i love soldiers live lady yeah yeah but <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, that's I think Mulligan takes the cake. Okay. Yeah, I. I mean, I. I absolutely like Mulligan. Uh, she does have that abrasive humor. Um, you know, filthy mouth. That that kind of soldier's cynical attitude. Um, <clears throat> but it was also very satisfying uh seeing her come to peace with herself you know that yeah that was excellent work on bennett's part uh the you know the the slogan we got at the at the outset of the book make it matter and mm. having that come full circle that was expertly done uh Again, you know, the foreshadowing with her hand and, and her history, the more we learn about, you know, the the you know, the the yellow march and and how so much of her does align with all of these titles for Vortya and and her kind of coming to terms with who she is at her core. Um Yeah. Yeah, like it, it was it was a really good character conflict. Uh I I was not sold on it in the first half, was more sold on it in the second half, uh especially through the conclusion. Yeah. I don't I I, I guess <laughs> I have like a, a complicated feelings on her where she's written really really well, but I feel like Bennett wanted me to like her more than I did. That's how I came out of the first book, exactly how I felt coming out of the first book. I felt like he wanted me to like her more than I did. Yeah. This one, I liked her as much as he wanted me to like her. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah. Do you think Biswal would forgive us if we got Rada to tell him the story, maybe, says Mulagesh? Yeah. Would she do that? She might if I beat the shit out of her a little. <laughs> <laughs> Just the concept of beating the shit out of someone a little. Just brilliant. Just oh. Brilliant. It's good stuff. Well, uh, are are you finished with Mulagesh? Oh, one more, one more. Give me okay. one more moment here. Okay. I love it. Uh, a new moment of Mulagesh. That's what I'm going to call it. 
the mom? No, that's a little too weird. Forget I said that. Um, <laughs> the way that Biswal tried baiting her into that climactic sword fight, and you referred to this earlier, I went into it thinking, oh god, no. Oh, please no, Bennett. Don't force a duel between these two at this moment. That would just be so cheesy. And another part of me was already thinking, you know, she should totally Indiana Jones this motherfucker. Oh, she did it! Oh, fuck yes! <laughs> so much win. This is great. Mm-hmm. Moment of Mulagesh. Love it. All right, I'm down with Mulagesh for now. I'm really looking forward to seeing having her in the future. Okay, well, who are we going on to? Uh, let's let's talk about just just really quickly. Um, and before we talk, uh, before we go on, we want to add in a disclaimer: uh, we are not censoring this episode, um, like the yeah. last City of Blades episode. Um, yeah, fuck General Biswall. Biswall. Hmm. I only have one point about him. Fuck that you know. guy. Yeah, what a disappointment this guy was, eh? I, I... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I was... I didn't even realize it. I was, like, angrily muttering to myself in bed last night while I was reading the end of this book, and it woke my wife up, and she was like, "What? Like, what's going on? I was like, no. Uh, what? No, uh, no, nothing. It's, it's the book. It's, it's the book. Like... I haven't been so pissed off at a character at least since Oathbringer possibly longer than that when he gave his little like propaganda speech and said that Mulagash not only assassinated Rada but but shot Signy in the back I was just like you <laughs> Yeah. I was so mad. <laughs> I was so mad. Oh, man. I wasn't as angry as I was disappointed. Oh, oh, oh boy. I was just definitely a little bit of anger. A lot of disappointment. I mean, I was... Oh, my God. I was so totally on board making that prediction last episode with Biswell going out yeah, yeah. hard in, like, a sacrifice play. That some did not happen. Whatever <laughs> yeah. way he could buy for them. And then when he shot Rod in the head... My first thought was like, oh, oh, that's not how I expected the sacrifice to go. Is he just going to rot in jail now? Is that his penance for protecting the world from Smallisk or something in his twisted way? And then he swings at Mulagesh, knocks her out, and I'm like, oh. Oh, maybe he's going to evacuate her and he's going to stay behind and detonate the explosive himself. That's redemption. Boom, here we go. But then the motherfucker <laughs> reveals that he's pinning that murder on Mulagesh. It's like, no, you piece of shit you are so close Why? yeah and and even though he didn't pull the trigger he is absolutely responsible for Signy's death yeah he's the one who engineered like through sheer stupidity the situations that psychologically damaged that soldier to the point where he was you know on a hair trigger to to shoot a surrendering person like, yeah. all, all he has yes. to do is not be an idiot and invade the Highlands. And this guy isn't going to be coming back from the front lines with major PTSD after all of these constant ambushes. Like, oh, and and so I want to make this my transition into to Signy. Because she was my favorite character in this book. I was so hopeful that she was going to be the main point of view character in the third book. Oh, that would be cool. And, which I have started the third book, and I, I know who the main point of view I was is. going to, but I was like, oh, I shouldn't. But I, I bought it. I have it. it. Um, I was heartbroken 
when Signy died. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, that, that was a hammer blow to me. I was such yeah. a big fan of her character. And the way well, she was... like, and, and it makes sense. Look, look, narratively speaking, I should have seen it coming. The, the major conflict that she had with Sigrid was solved. You know, it was... They, they figured their stuff out and they had their moment as father and daughter. And then, for like the fifth time, this, this sort of Chekhov's gun almost... She says she's going somewhere with Mulagash, and Mulagash is like, it's gonna be dangerous, and she's like, I don't care, I'm going with you, and, like, should have seen it coming. Oh, wow, that's but a good point, when still, you put it that way. Oh, it, that killed me, man. I, was, I mean, I was totally taken by surprise, and I had no feeling of should have seen it coming, until you put it that way, and I'm like, okay, alright, I should have picked up on that <laughs> a little bit. But I didn't at all. It was uh, there was some excellent sleight of hand on Bennett's part, perhaps. Just uh, and and then the fallout of that for Sigrid. Sigrid, I I loved in this book. Oh yeah, I liked him a lot okay, in no. City of Stairs. I loved him in this book. And I'll I'll tell you this right now: Sigrid's the main POV in City of Miracles. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> thought, oh my God! I thought you I would have started that. it right away if I had known that. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I'm sold. I'm 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 like three chapters into City of Miracles already, and and it was because like I finished this book last night, and I could not not continue. Can I guess how it starts? And obviously, only tell me if I'm right. Don't nothing else. Does it start with him like in the boat? Perhaps hungover, maybe not, but he's probably gonna have like a bunch of scraggly facial hair, and he's been like adrift for months, like as a fugitive. No, no, okay, yeah. Uh, right. No, the the third book is that. is years years after City of Blades. Oh dang, yeah. Okay. Same same with you know City of Stairs to City of Blades. It was several years. Okay. Um, okay. But no, I so with Sigrid like like first my heart is torn out with Signy. <laughs> And then my heart gets torn out all over again. <laughs> Sigrid going on this berserk rampage and then irreparably damaging his his relationships with two of the people closest to him. Uh, completely ruining any chance of living a normal life because of the crimes over his head. Uh, and then his death desperation that final scene with Mulagash he's like you have to let me watch you have to let me see it hmm. that's like, just oh man that was yeah. just and, and that one thought that Mulagash had as you know the, 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 the boat was making its way far enough out she thinks to herself okay that's far enough he has to be able to see it now yeah. Because she has to wait, you know. Yeah. Just, and she knows that somewhere he is also silent in this vigil. The one to whom this is this is this hurts the most. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I mean with Signe, I never found myself particularly invested in her as a character. She seemed a little abrasive for most of the book, even though she was rightfully so. Rightfully so. 
Uh, she's under a lot of stress, obviously, but she, she wasn't a bad person. I would never say that. I can see why many people would be fans of her. I can see why you like her. And mm -hmm. I love how, for, like, such a large part of this book and the consequences afterward was Sigrid's, you know, disappearance. And now that I know book three has, you know, Sigrid points of view for the main part, all the, it revolves around Signe as a character and how irrefutably devoted she was to her ideas and how hard she struggled every waking moment to achieve them. I love that a large part of this book was that. I have a mountain of respect for Signe, but I feel obligated to admit that the main reason I liked her involvement in this book was everyone's reaction to like her death and her life and what she did, like what it meant to see the the screaming Draylings uh, cheering for her at her Viking funeral, what it means for Sigrid, who continues to be for me the most engaging character, the sheer heartbreak and beauty of Sigrid's memories. Well, those are enough right there to yeah. earn her a place in this book. But when I observe that feeling, when I unpack it, it's more about what she is than who she is. Isn't it? Hmm. And so I can't say I like her. I, I don't think I like her as a character, as, as a person, as much as you did. But still, yeah. she's a wonderful part of this book. That's interesting. Yeah, like I see her in a lot of ways as a sort of amalgamation and midway line between two of my favorite characters in other series. Chris in the Cosmere in White Sand okay. and Arcana in the Black Company. She has some of the familial okay. issues of Arcana and the take charge engineer's mind of Chris. And those are, yeah. like, my favorite things about both of those characters. And so they were just mashed together, and I was immediately like, I like this character. Yeah. On paper, that's a Drew McCaffrey-approved character right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And with, with Sigrid, I mean, if you had told me coming fresh out of City of Stairs that Shara was going to be only a tertiary character in this one, and Sigrid would have a larger role than her and have many points of view in City of Blades, I would have been so on board right then, even. I loved every minute <laughs> we had of him. He's just, he carries the story for me. You know, Mulagesh went from a near zero to right on par in the same category as him, I feel like. I love that character now. But this is now my second book invested in Sigrid, and my first book invested in Mulagesh, so I'm still a tad biased towards, you know, Sigrid's storyline. Right. His memories is just soul-ripping to hear. Soul-ripping to hear. His estranged relationship with his oh. daughter, their mutual distance, and how much it clearly hurts the both of them. Heartbreaking. Like, this is the kind of character development I was not prepared for when, when Petrie yeah. meet, first meets the giant at the station in City of Stairs, you know? Or when he's mm -hmm. mashing Restorationist with his bare hands. Like, that's a version of the large, incomprehensible monster. To this top-quality character work. It's just fucking awesome. Yeah. I cannot say enough about the character work in this book. Just yeah. thoroughly impressive. Yeah. The last character I had to talk about is Radha. Anything else about uh, Sigrid before we move on to Radha? No, let's move on to Radha. And, and okay. there, there are a couple of discussions that we have to have around her. Because we, we talked about her, we kind of argued about her last episode. Yeah. Um, and, and on the one hand, like, yeah, we both kind of saw it coming. You know, that she was going to be the, the one behind things, right? But the thing with the stutter stands out to me. And I'm not... I still don't know what to think about it. It's after, kind of, Yeah. Because we don't really see her have the stutter. 
<laughs> my cat's yeah. yelling in the background. Um, Severian's like, I know. Yeah. We don't see her have the stutter during the climax of this book. But I can't tell if that was because she was using the stutter as an affectation or because she was like so like in the moment and so like passionate that she didn't have that block that impediment um because narratively there's no reason for her to have the stutter as a like as a mask or anything like that that has no effect on the story like there's no nobody underestimates her because of the stutter there's no cultural stigma about the stutter like yeah i think that was just like a a, a, i don't know a bait and switch for the audience more than the character I, i just i don't understand why either a why he gave her the stutter or b why he didn't give her the stutter in those final scenes Right. And now that, I don't that's... know super much. Like like I said, I had one friend years ago who had a stutter, but like I I don't know a ton about how stutters work. Like I don't know if it makes sense that if she's like really fired up and passionate that she would lose it or if she would be worked up and the stutter would be more of an issue. I'd actually be really curious to hear, you know, if uh, if any of our listeners know about or, or have a stutter, um, I'd, I'd love to hear what your experiences are, um, you know, with this speech impediment. Yeah, I'll tell you what, like, as, like as somebody with, with Tourette's, it's very similar. It's still a neurological uh-huh. issue. And, and if it's anything like Tourette's, and I can tell you that under high-stress situations, it would go away. You wouldn't have it anymore. Okay, interesting. Tourette's, because you can control it. You can definitely control it. It's just when, I don't know. Nobody's looking. That's how Tourette's works. I don't know if a stutter would be similar. Yeah, because I know my friend, like... Impediments. He, under a certain kind of pressure, his stutter would get worse. Like, if he was talking and started stuttering and knew that a lot of people were, like, listening and waiting for his words, you could kind of see it, like, build. And he would get to a point where he, like, physically couldn't speak anymore. Because of the pressure of like people waiting for him to talk and the stutter stopping him, and it was this like feedback loop. Yeah. But I don't know if that would apply to this sort of a situation where you're just like overcome with emotion. conviction and emotion. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was still like I wrote that. I was like I didn't think that it was uh, it was. You know, I thought it was going to be revealed to be a false stutter. At least that's how my prediction went. And we mm-hmm. had no reason to think that it was ever a false stutter. It was just for some reason absent at the end. It was... Yeah. And I was like, okay, so it's got to be because she's really mentally engaged. But even though this is more of like an emotional, passional, like passion kind of engagement than mm-hmm. it is a logical one. It's a little odd. Wasn't what I expected. I would have thought that she would have had it at the end scene there too. Yeah. And, and especially, you know, being... Uh, you know more like real world critical here like Bennett is typically at least as far as my experience reading his stuff has gone he's very careful with how he deals with representation of 
like marginalized identities in his books. And so it would be strange to me if he wrote in a character with a stutter and then like, yeah, I mean, I, I brought this up on the last episode, you know, um, it, it just, it feels off something about it feels off. And I, I don't, this is another thing I'd love to sit down and ask him about. Uh, yeah. Like, was there a narrative reason for this? What were you going for? Um, you know, especially because, like you brought up, the only other character I've ever read with a stutter is Professor Quirrell. Same. And and that stutter is basically revealed to be fake at the end of that book. Yeah. Or at least In a it's, way. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's fake. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, like, he didn't oh, have, he didn't, he didn't have a stutter. Oh. And then he, he went off. Voldemort. He no, did. he didn't. He didn't. He went off to, and then encountered Voldemort and came back, and he was a changed person, and he used the stutter as, like, a cover for it. And it had, like, a know. whole story about how he encountered, like, monsters in the, in the Albanian forest. I remember that forest. story. I remember him saying he, like, revealing, right? Yeah. Like, being revealed that he, that he but then forced in, the stutter. in that final scene, he's like, oh, yo, who would ever suspect poor stutter yeah. like yeah you know uh, exactly they wouldn't expect it that's why Voldemort chose him because he had it pre-existed this is this is a dumb well well but, but no I'm my, my point is Quirrell was affecting the stutter yeah right well, he was capable of not doing it anymore for sure and yeah. he kept using it for his purposes and, and uh, yeah and so like I don't know it just kind of sits weird with me if Bennett tried to do the same thing in this book. But I don't think he did. That's that's the weird thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting like way into the weeds here. <laughs> like yeah, this isn't I, even I a, would think you're looking yeah. a little too close, but some yeah. people might agree. You know? Yeah. But but as far as Rada herself goes, um mm-hmm. what did you think about her motivations? Good. I love that you brought this up. That was my whole next point was her motivations. Mm-hmm. That's that was it. You you know me so well, Drew McCaffrey. <laughs> I love that he, how he approached writing her motivations as an antagonist. Or maybe I should say, <laughs> more accurately, I should say he didn't feel obligated to prove or to provide logical ones. Mm-hmm. Like, normally I hate an antagonist who doesn't have clear end goals or motivations for achieving them. Looking at you, soul catcher. But there's uh, <laughs> there's something that I felt Bennett did right with Rada that Cook didn't with soul catcher. And whatever it was, I noticed it, because I still don't know how to define it, but whatever it was, I noticed it when Mulgesh snaps at her at the end, and I quoted it here. Well, we never got any damned afterlives, snarls Mulgesh, pumping the bellows. When Sepuris were massacred, we just rotted in the ground. And if our families knew where we lay, then they considered it a blessing. Your tragedy is but a candle flame amongst a forest fire. And normally at this point, you would expect an antagonist, who's especially an antagonist who's just revealed themselves, to turn that logic around somehow or attempt to, whether it's fair or or, or not, or just use twisted logic. But next from Rada, we just get, I don't care, screams Rada. I don't care. Damn the world, damn the continent, and damn Sapor. If the world gives us no reprieve from life, then let them destroy it. Like, I'm kind of glad that she didn't try and rationalize. It feels more genuinely human in a weird way. Like an observation of this breakdown of will of caring about consequences rather than trying to force twisted motivations or logic it, 
if you'd explain her to, to me as a villain before reading this book, I'd have thought, that's terrible. That's a terrible, lazy attempt at writing a bad guy. But having read it in context, I have no complaints. Yeah, I, I highlighted the exact same line. I loved that moment. I thought that was just, in its own twisted way, it matches, like, like it fits the Vortyashtani yeah. outlook. Yeah, that's a good point, too. You know, like, it's, it doesn't matter, right? It's like, all that matters is what she's doing in this moment with the swords and fulfilling her promise to bring on Armageddon. Like, it's it's a very Vortyashtani outlook. And uh, I think this is where the real mask comes into play. Uh, that being her her medical training, that she is a healer by trade, while secretly working to kill. I loved yeah. that that kind of two faced nature of her character. Hmm. <laughs> I considered it that way. It's a very good point. Yeah, it, it's it's not logical, but. It's human. It's honest. I'll say that. It's not logical, but it's yes. honest. Yep. And so, I really can't complain. I, I, I don't know how Bennett made it work. I have no idea how he made it work, but he did. Kudos to him. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Pande a little bit. Oh, okay. I didn't write down anything about Pande. Also heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean... I liked him. He was, he was another one of those just, like, earnest doing his job, doing it well kind of guys. And then you, you get to see him, uh, which, by the way, I don't know if this was, if if Bennett was trying to make it a mystery or if he was trying to go for some ironic humor situation. Like, from the very first time Wooligash, like, saw him, like, whispering with Signe, I was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're banging. Oh, really? Oh, I had yeah. No, like, I didn't... I mean, you know what I predicted about Signe last episode. I thought that perhaps Mulligan should be interested in her. Yeah, that's why I was like, I don't think this is a... Yeah. Um, you didn't bring up... Pan, uh, no, but... Panda. Pande? Pande. Pande. Yeah. Pande. Uh, but but so, there's there's that really touching scene with Mulligan and Cigarette on the cliffs. Yeah, yeah. And then, it's easy to forget about him when Signe dies. Because, you know, Mulagesh and Sigrid are the, the more central characters. And you're thinking about how her death is going to affect them. And you're thinking about her death is is going to ruin Sepuri drailing relations. And, like, the war is coming now and, and all of the fallout. And you, you forget about Pande. And I'm glad that Bennett didn't. Because I thought it was a really powerful scene... Um, as much as I hated it, like, I hated that Mulagesh had to kill him, because I liked Pande, but he's, he was out of his mind, you know, he was enraged with grief. Yeah, yeah, I really loved, uh, honestly, Sigrid's reaction to that whole scene when, when, when she, when he and Mulagesh found, like, found out that, that they were having an affair, they're having a relationship. 
And, I mean, as readers, there's another neat little bait-and-switch that Bennett added in there for just for the readers. You'd think as soon as you realize what's happening and Sigrid's right there, you have at least a few seconds of, uh-oh. But then Sigrid completely, you know, does exactly what you're not expecting, what I'm not expecting. And he's just happy for her. And yeah. he's like, let her have this moment. Let her be human. I'm glad that she has, that she finds something that makes her happy. That's just like... Yes. That says so much more about Sigrid than it even does about Signet. I was like, oh my god, this character continues <laughs> again like an onion. He's just he continues to surprise. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful stuff. It, it, it really is, man. Like the, the whole climax of this book was just emotional hammer blow after emotional hammer blow. This may be some uh, of the best character work I have ever read. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is for sure up there. This is definitely in the top tier. Yes. In the highest tier of character work I've ever experienced. It may be the best. <sighs> yeah. General Noor. Can we talk about General Noor real quick? One point. Sure. I hope we see more of him in the next book. His speech to Mulagesh at the end, and I have it quoted here, he stands and pushes the door of the cell, uh, of the cell ajar. Then he turns and says, I'm going to leave this open, General Mulagesh. You come out when you're ready. When you think you deserve it, and you do deserve it, Turian. She waits until she knows he's out of earshot and finally begins to weep again. It takes her more than an hour to summon the strength to walk out. General Noor is such a badass. And the way that this ties back into Mulagesh's character as well, is how he just serves that one up, and how Bennett depicted exactly what Shara said about Mulagesh earlier in this moment. The strength to walk out. Not the decision to walk out, but the strength. Because what... Like with Mulagesh, they're one and the same. Like what she decides and what she's physically capable of are one and the same. Just it's a great moment for both of these characters. I love that General Noor was able to give her that. I hope we see more of him in City of Miracles. Yes. Yeah, that, that's fair. I I did not write any uh, any notes down for him, but I fully agree with that. Shara. Oh God, I had a point about Shara that I totally forgot about. I skipped it. Uh, yeah. Anything? That's that was my last uh, character. Uh, character cool. note um, I thought in in that first scene when they you know they do the the mirror through the window and yep. talk to her I was like oh Shara's got a, a lover in bed exactly what I thought yeah and exactly. I was actually kind of laughing at us at a couple of points because I was like oh like this is this like the situational humor of them like accidentally like yeah being <laughs> voyeurs you know and it turns out no she didn't have a lover in bed. She had an adopted child. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as, as somebody who wasn't a huge fan of Shara, not that I disliked her outright, she just didn't really resonate with me in City of Stairs. Seeing her to get, like, seeing her get, I should say, cameo building in this one, I was totally fine with. I mm-hmm. prefer seeing her myself from the outside. I like the mystery of who she had in the blankets there, you know, during <laughs> that first communication, you know. But then this adopted orf- orphan girl, the revelation, Tatyana, Tatyana, I think mm-hmm. it was. It's just a nice mark of growth for that character, even if we didn't get to see that growth of that character. And I have to say, I really like how Shara has kept true to her intentions. Like, to position her inevitable failure into an opportunity mm-hmm. for someone even better to take her place, that is some devious and almost endearing stuff for me right there. I can definitely say that now I do like Shara. She's cool. She had one particular conversation with Mulagesh that I really appreciated for her logic and her position on. And I quoted this. You have a talent, says Shara, for valuing what you feel is right over anything else, including occasionally the people around you. 
you do what you feel is right, not because it is satisfying, but because you find any other option to be intolerable. This makes you incredibly frustrating to deal with. <laughs> but it also means that you find solutions where many others would give up. And as those words left her mouth, I was thinking, okay, Shara, I may have I misjudged you. I found you a tad boring and convenient before, but as a side character, I really like you. Yeah, no, obviously I loved Shara in the first book, and this just kind of reinforced um, you know, my my admiration for her. Yeah. So yeah. I'm ready to go into miscellaneous and predictions for the future. Alright, well I I I did not have predictions, uh, mostly because I closed the book and immediately started the next one. <laughs> so I didn't give <laughs> myself time to think. Um, but, but yeah, we can, we can talk some miscellaneous points. Okay. Um, how hard did you laugh when the minigun came into play and pinned Jurgit to the ground? Yup. Good call, my dude. Yup. Good call. I definitely laughed. Oh my good. Oh yeah. Goodness. <laughs> good. Oh man. I learned a new word as well. Really? Um, osseous, osseous, I don't know how to pronounce it. O S S E U S. Oh, osseous. osseous. Oh my osseous. gosh. Okay. Yeah. I do Consisting remember seeing that. Or turned into bone. It was a description of the structure that Mulagesh found, uh, Thinadeshi in, I believe. Uh, I think oh, that was yes. where it was. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was in the city of Blades. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so yeah. that was um, that was word that like to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen before. Um, but I wondered, um, like I, I thought of like osteo as okay. like osteoporosis, yep. like I got you, know, you right there, osteoarthropedics, yep. you know, stuff like that. Like, um, and and so I thought of bones, but I in the moment I didn't stop to look it up, and I was uh, I'm glad you brought this up because I was wondering if I thought right. Yeah, no, I love the the, the e reader. It's got that. It's just all I got to do is hold my finger on the word for one point five seconds, and then boop, right at the bottom comes a definition for osseous, consisting of or turned into bone. Nice. So, um, he's ten feet away when he smells it, blood, a lot of it. He looks at the area from the shelter of a tree. He can't fully investigate in these circumstances, but he can see where the bracken's been crushed, like someone fell back into it, and he smells something familiar. The scent of cigarettes, an unusual kind, aromatic and exotic. The exact sort, Sigurd reflects, that his daughter smokes nearly constantly. Sigurd looks uphill in the direction of Fort Thinadeshi and thinks. Yeah. And thinks. God, <laughs> what do we even say about that line? Oh, so good, so bad, but it's so good. Yeah. And then just afterwards, something falls with a pat pat onto the table beside his daughter. Sigurd looks at it and realizes it's his blood. His nose is bleeding. He knows. Or he holds his left hand out and catches three drops in his palm. The whole glove turning dark. The scar below throbbing with pain. He whispers. I used to chase her through the forest. Uh-oh. How do you build something up like that? It's just so terrifying. It's so terrifying. Yeah. Oh, God. That is so, that is so good, though. Okay. Um. My last point is, is just a prediction. And it's just three words I wrote down in my, <laughs> in my note file here. I wrote, Sigrid gonna die. 
I think he's going to die Ooh. by the end of City of Miracles. Okay. That's it. That's it. That's all I think. All right. So, I'm done with miscellaneous and predictions. How about you, my friend? I am ready to talk favorite scenes. Okay. This is... I'm so excited. Okay. Um. All right. Oh, okay. Um. Should we start with honorable mentions then? Just get those out of the way? Sure. Weeping, she bends her mind to the sword and says, Yes, yes, you do. The sword, the blade of the sword flickers to life, greedily accepting her, embracing her. And the world begins to change. Yeah. Honorable mention. Well, yours. The, basically all of chapter 10, <laughs> but especially Sigrud's sharpshooting against St. Jurgut. When he shoots the sword out of midair. Yeah. And Wulagesh is just a pure disbelief. <laughs> Loved it. Loved it. Uh, somebody like Mulagesh, who like the fact that he can give her that moment of sheer disbelief says a lot, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my third favorite scene. <laughs> the heat from the gun scorches the floor and rails of the watchtower, licking at the wood and turning it a deep black. Every second threatens to tear the whole watchtower apart. But Mulagesh doesn't care. She hears herself screaming, Motherfucker, motherfucker. <laughs> How can this not make one of my favorite scenes in this book? Oh my god, I almost said City of Stairs, City of Blades. Just. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to see Danny sketch that. I don't even care if it's a thumbnail. I just want to see that. <laughs> You know, uh, this was a scene, basically all again, all of chapter ten, but but the the minigun scene especially was when I realized I want to see this on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Like I I started thinking about it after that, where I was like, you know, there are lots of books I read that I'm like, oh yeah, I'd love to see a TV show or a movie of this, and then I think about, it, I'm like, well, actually, this probably wouldn't work super well. This would work great on oh the God. screen. I would do it in slow motion at times, and I have slow mo, and I have it completely silenced, just silence, and I would have like oh this uh, this specific flashbacks, scene. this specific scene, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. I would have like flashbacks to like you know the the yellow march, you know, yes, yeah. that would be yeah. so good. But yeah, like this this series in general, at least so far, like lends itself so well to a visual medium. There isn't oh a whole God. lot of, like, you know, super necessary internal dialogue. Like, it's it's sparing enough that when you have the important things, you could do a voiceover or a character whispering something to themselves, you know, whatever. But yeah, like, that, that scene in particular was when I realized, I'm like, somebody's got to option this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. yeah so my third favorite scene uh, yes you just extensively quoted from it but oh. it is sigrid's entrance into the morgue at fort tinadeshi oh my goodness discovering signy's body and his nose starting to bleed it goes from tender to terrifying Yeah. 
Yeah, this didn't even make my top five, even though it was, it was super, super, super well done. It was super scary. I don't think it made my top four or five, so I didn't even consider that it would make yours. I didn't mean to fucking steal your thunder there. Whoops. No worries. <laughs> Sorry. About it. No, no worries. It's all good, though. That would, I mean, I can see why that would make number three. No, no, yeah, like, Jesus. Mm, number three. That was so good. So number two for so you. Good. Number two for me. Why would she want to know me? He says, how do I tell my daughter what I've seen, what I've done? How do I tell her that at times, in prison, I, I became so furious that my own blood would leap out of me, pouring out of my nose, and I would go mad with anger, a berserk rage hurting anyone and everyone around me, even myself. Sometimes innocents, sometimes mere bystanders. I throttled them to death with my bare hands. <clears throat> when I was a young man... And she was just a little girl long ago. I, I used to chase her through the forest near our home. It was a game. She would hide and I would pretend to chase her. And then she would pretend to chase me. And later, when I was in prison, when I thought I would go mad, I held on to this very tightly. This memory of the little blonde girl laughing as she ran through the forest. This tiny, perfect creature darting amongst those great big trees. When the world grinds you down, you pick a handful of fires to hold close to your heart. And that one was mine. I suppose I just assumed that she would remember this too. That she would see me and remember that moment in the trees laughing as we ran. But she does not remember. And perhaps I was foolish to think she would. Yeah. I don't even know how to, how, to, how to speak after that. So when I first read that scene, I highlighted it and I was like, this is for sure going in my three favorite scenes. It ended up not making it. Mm. but it is powerful stuff yeah yeah alright your second favorite so this is when uh, Mulagesh finds Sigrid down the hidden stair on the coast and he says I don't deserve such kindness ah there's that word. She looks out at the ocean. Deserve. How preoccupied we are with that. With what we should have. With what we are owed. I wonder if any word has ever caused more heartache. She watches as he folds the map. His fingers trembling. His face pinched like a child. Trying not to cry. Ooh, there's a typo. Hmm. Ooh. The line is his face pinched like a child not to cry. Huh. <laughs> well, that tells you the power of the, the you know, moment that I didn't even notice that the first time I read it. Anyway, yeah. she says, I'm sorry know. about Signy. He stows the map away. Will I be able to see her? No, Sigrid. You can't. Please, I must. Just give me one thing more. Just this one thing. Sigrid. He looks at her, his face resolute. I want to see her funeral. <sighs> yeah. I didn't even know how to... So like, these good. Moments, these moments are so heavy that I, I physically find it hard to articulate anything in response. It's like... This is the kind of catatonia when I left this book. Like I had leaving Words of Radiance back in... Uh, 2014 when i was just realizing I was like oh my god this book just happened and now it's over you know 
moments like that where it it was oh my god yeah um my favorite scene yes perhaps unsurprisingly my favorite scene goes hand in hand with my second favorite in terms of what we lost and as the light filters across the bay a strange sound accompanies it it sounds like a wave or perhaps a roar starting low and growing the farther the boat drifts to sea slowly Mulagesh realizes the draylings are shouting starting at the lighthouse and rushing down the seawall until all the men around her are shouting as well a long sustained cry it is not a cry of grief she finds nor one of pain or loss or sorrow rather it's a shout of triumph of victory of goodbye and farewell a shout of love love defiant love god damn bennett i want to guess this was your favorite one as well yeah it was uh it, it was indeed um, what a fucking scene yeah uh this and is the most i i did highlight another another part at the beginning of that scene when Mulagesh and Noor are heading down into the city Mulagesh eyes the wooden frames rising along the streets promises of sturdy drailing structures to come though they've halted work for this in three weeks she thinks I won't even be able to recognize this city but the biggest change is what's happening down at the harbor where the seawall and the lighthouse appear to be glowing a soft, shimmering gold. My word, says Noor as they near it. What is that? It takes Mulagesh a minute to understand it, but then she sees that the seawall in every balcony of the lighthouse is lined with lights, and above each light is a face, grim and sad. Lanterns, says Mulagesh. It's all the workers. They've come to see. Like, I think, obviously, the word, the wordsmithing that you quoted is, is the, the keystone moment of this scene. But for me, at least, this moment at the beginning of it makes it perfect. Because not only can I read those words you quoted and feel the emotion... But I have a vivid image in my mind of what it looks like because of these lines right here. And this is another one because I already had it like in my mind. This would be just brutal. Like a, a, a closing, closing yeah. scene in an episode of a TV show. Like, heartbreaking. End of a season kind of denouement. Yeah. yeah. That's just... This was a nearly perfect book, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I said, um, I gave this a 5 out of 5. Wow. Uh, it, is, it is, if not the best book I've read so far this year... At worst, it's the second best. Um, I give it four point eight, four point nine. This really doesn't get much better than this. Yeah, well, I mean, I give it five out of five on on Goodreads. If I were to get more granular, yeah, it'd probably be like a four point eight, four point nine. Um, it's not a perfect book, 
nearly so. Yeah, so um I'm just so happy we started reading this series. Yeah. I'm yeah. oh so freaking happy. I I already I've forgotten. I'm ashamed to admit I've forgotten the patron's name. Yeti but Beats. Yeti Beats. It's his Discord Yeti name. Yeti Beats. You were my man from now on. <laughs> Assuming you're a man. I want to assume. But <laughs> I, I I believe yeah. I, Oh my gosh, I'm just going to look it up again. <laughs> um, I, Yeti yeah. Beats, you are a real OG. I will say that. This is the best recommendation we've had. Ooh. Oh, Ocean at the End of the Lane was so good, though. But that's the smaller thing. I think on... I think on... Yeah, uh, Matthew Alexander is is his name on Patreon. Matthew Alexander. Yeah. The OG for today. Thank you. Absolutely. As a patron, as a recommender of book. This watch recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anything else about City of I almost said stairs and I almost said miracles after that. City of Blades. <laughs> no. Let's uh let's head into the final draft. Okay, I'll start again as I have been lately, because as I have been lately, I am still sober. I'm just you know, Get hydrating my organs. Some of the dihydrogen monoxide. Filtered fridge tap water. Good stuff. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Well, I'm being less healthy than Rob, as usual. Mm. And I am drinking. As usual. I wouldn't say as usual. As of late, perhaps. Yeah, as of late, I guess. Um, I am drinking a whiskey barrel-aged Imperial Stout. Yes. From like Trapdoor Brewing in Vancouver, Washington. Ooh, Vancouver, Washington. Yes, sir. This is uh, aged in westward whiskey barrels for 12 months and conditioned on Madagascar vanilla beans and roasted cacao nibs. 13% alcohol by volume. Dang. It is um, really good. Like... Much better than I was expecting. A lot of these, um, yeah, I got this off of Tavor, uh, you know, the, the beer app, uh, and their offerings are hit or miss. Um, and especially when I get, uh, I see a, a barrel aged stout and it comes in a can instead of a bottle at a lower price point, it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe this isn't, isn't barrel aged for that long maybe it's only been in barrels for like a couple of months or you know like it's just not that good whatever this did come in a can it is super good like the the roasted chocolate in it is is just wonderful and it plays with the whiskey ultimately resulting in this almost like Christmas hot chocolate kind of smell. It's so that freaking good. Really good. Yeah, it's really so good. good. This is one of the one of the best beers I think I've brought on in in 113 episodes. Uh, this is wonderful. Um, but this is my my kind of ode to Mulegesh's conflict. And the thing she had to admit about herself. It is called interiority. 
interiority. I like it. Well played, good sir. Yeah. Sounds tasty, too. <laughs> mm. Mm -hmm. Write that one down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if, if any of our listeners are in Washington and, and you have access to Trapdoor Brewing, check this beer out. Whew. Or if you have Tavor. I don't know if this is still on the app. I don't remember how long ago I ordered it. But, yeah. On that note, though, after, uh, man, quite an episode, quite a book. Yeah. This has it? been, did you say 113? 113 by yeah. my calculations. Wow. We, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about. We are now two years into Inking Out Loud. More yeah, than two in terms years of in. Releasing. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of recording, we're two and a half. Oh yeah, months. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we I think we released our first episode like late February two thousand nineteen. Yep. And we and, recorded uh, our first episode on my twenty seventh birthday. October twenty eighteen. Yep. Yeah, October twenty seventh, twenty eighteen. We recorded the first episode. Yeah. Man. The day I turned twenty seven. That was good. I had the Glenn Fiddick on that day. Yeah, so... There's a launch as part one. <laughs> it, it, I don't know, it feels feels fitting. You know, two years in that we we just finished covering two of our favorite series. You know, one of your favorites in the Illuminae Files, one of my favorites in the Black Company. And then we get to step right into something new to both of us. And it is very quickly looking like another favorite. And it is this good. Yeah. 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 So, next up... We will be continuing right on into the first half of City of Miracles. Once again, we'll be covering the first nine chapters. You know, if you want to get access to that episode early, if you want to support the show, get access to our original fiction on Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. We, we always appreciate the support that our fans are giving us. It is really making a difference helping the show keep going onward and we have some uh some exciting things uh to help increase the quality of the show and to give us the ability to perhaps start bringing on some authors some uh some bigger name authors some authors we may have already covered on the show in fact uh and Done. and we're, we're hoping to hit some some financial goals so check us out on patreon there and consider supporting the show as always i've been your host drew mccaffrey and with me is my co-host rob santos right here thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time